purpose of this webinar is to is to uh, get into how to find a, a, a suitable target SPAC buyer, um, how to approach them, how to negotiate with them, and then how to successfully combine with them. Uh, those are the, the topics that uh, we'll be covering today. <clears throat> My name is Rod Turner. I am the founder and the uh, CEO of Manhattan Street Capital. Brief bio on me for credibility's sake. Um, I have I started my career as an engineer, on an electrical engineer on a nuclear power station in the UK. And then I moved in, moved to the US, and then I moved into uh, startups, entrepreneurship in the tech space. And I've had the good fortune to build uh, six prior successful startup companies to liquid outcomes uh, from zero to significant successes. Two of those were IPOs to the NASDAQ. One of them was uh, Ashton Tate, which made DBase. You guys, some of you guys might be old enough to remember DBase in its day. We built DBase to be the leading database standard uh, on the PC in the back in the day. And uh, I was a VP of sales when we went public. I had lots of other responsibilities as we built from the 12 person company it was when I joined, uh, joined the team. Um, and another one is Symantec, the, co the company which is best known for Norton Antivirus. I was there from uh, before we had products at, at Symantec and uh, was one of the top executives there. During the IPO, I was there almost 10 years and ran the largest mergers and acquisitions significantly, both um, primarily merging in companies that were sizable strategic acquisitions, but also acquiring companies into the divisions that I was running. Uh, I merged in the Norton business into Symantec, which grew so fast that it became Symantec uh, while I was leading it. It was a great team. It was a tremendously successful merger, very relevant to this discussion. Um, and I've had a lot of good fortune over the years in other, other ways. I, I, with a friend, set up a venture fund and incubator called uh, Irvine Ventures in the first internet bubble. And I've made my fair share of mistakes and I've had my fair share or, or, or perhaps more than my fair share of successes. And I've learned a lot from them and I've observed a lot from other people along the way um, and their successes and setbacks also. Manhattan Street Capital. I launched the company six and a half years ago because of Reg A Plus, which is not the focus of today's discussion, uh, although it's an excellent funding vehicle. That was the reason I, I decided to launch the company, because if it's me, if it's my experience, and I believe I can help a lot of companies that wouldn't otherwise have been able necessarily to raise the growth capital or to maintain control or to um, scale up the way that they, to meet their potential. To me, this, uh, it's a huge market over time. We'll reach it in Reggae Plus. We're making progress as an industry. It's growing rapidly now, courtesy of uh, largely of COVID, frankly. Um, the focus of this, this discussion, of course, is about SPAC, so we'll get into that. Um, what Manhattan Street Capital does is we host offerings in a very sophisticated, uh, in a very sophisticated website. It does a lot of things that are beyond the norm. And we also guide companies and advise them um, in order to maximize their success with Reg A Pluses. So we aspire to be the aspirational platform with which companies raise capital via Reg A Plus to do IPOs, to list in, other, in secondary exchanges, and to really raise growth capital uh, in an attractive and efficient manner. That's what we are primarily about. So moving on to the, uh, the SPAC industry, before I get into the specifics, we are not a broker dealer, we're not underwriters, we're not valuation professionals, and we're not attorneys. So the, advi the advice that uh, I give here is, in this case, it's, it's about SPACs, and in this case too, we're not a broker dealer, although there is a, a SEC letter, no action letter, which we are operating via that. Uh, effective exemption um, to enable us to provide the matchmaker finder service and also the other service we'll get into later. Um, please read the disclaimers that we posted in the chat box. Uh, uh, that's important. And also 
if you would like to ask questions, feel free from now to put the questions that you have in the chat box. And at, to, uh, when I finish my prepared presentation, then I'll get to the questions and answer them in the order in which they're posted and where I can add value, uh, where I can add the most value. So please do go ahead, feel free to do that. Um, okay. Yeah, we are going, we are recording this webinar and for all of the people that attended it and those that signed up for it as well, we will be sending out uh, the recording of that in a clickable index form in a blog post on Manhattan Street Capital. So it's convenient to watch the bits you want to watch and not have to watch the rest of it. And that will go out in about a week and a half, uh, depending on workflow, because the effort involved is significant. Please do not record the webinar yourself. Uh, there might be things that uh, could be taken out of context that I say that we edit out, or mistakes that I make that uh, we may edit out. So, that's the version of it. The edited version is the one that we will be distributing. Okay, uh, there are two methods of viewing. You are probably very familiar these days with using Zoom. So you can use a speaker view or what's the other view called? Uh, now it's not telling me, I've got to click on it to remind myself. Yeah, speaker view or gallery view. So you can see everyone at the same time or you can see yourself, whoever's speaking up close and personal, which is going to be me most of the time. So welcome here. Hope this is going to be a very valuable session for you. That's the purpose of it, is to assist you in succeeding. I am working under the, under the operating belief that most of the folks here are looking to sell their company, your company, uh, to uh, an acquiring SPAC. But I'm also going to be including in some of the comments that I make the methods by which to succeed in the merger because you will care about that and you'll care about that combination and even though if it's a simple acquisition where the SPAC makes buys one company generally that combination is going to be really simple you know it won't always be that way but we'll get into that uh, later so the topics within the subject area that we'll be covering are what I put in the agenda in the first place how to uh, find uh, the right SPAC for your company, how to approach them, how to negotiate the deal, and uh, how to make the merger succeed. Um, I, have, I have been involved in, directly involved in probably six or eight uh, mergers and acquisitions, most of them on the buying side, but some of them on the selling side. So I do have a lot of relevant experience. Although I haven't sold a company to a SPAC, I have had discussions with numerous SPACs. And uh, obviously now I've had discussions with many companies that are exploring uh, the possibility of merging with a funded SPAC. So first I'm going to go into the what's going on in the SPAC space. Obviously the SEC has tightened the reins on SPACs uh, and by doing so it slowed the momentum somewhat. But um, by our uh, count, there are 440 funded SPACs that have not yet made an acquisition. It's a lot of companies that have money burning a hole in their pocket, not necessarily burning a hole, but ready to, to go. The significant fact about that is that most of them have a long time to run. Most of them have more than a year, year and a half to run before they have to return uh, capital back to investors. So they are, you know, variously in what I call the honeymoon phase. You know, when you start a new development project or any new project at the front end, it's really easy to have a honeymoon phase where it's slipping for every day that passes, but nobody knows because it isn't properly instrumented yet. Or maybe nobody really cares because it seems so glorious, a wonderful idea that it's okay if it takes time because it's so wonderful. And nobody's being measured by uh, any performance. Uh, metrics on it yet either, right? So that's sort of what's happening right now because so many of the SPACs were funded recently. So many were funded in, in just in Q1 of 2021, first quarter of this year. It, one of the challenges we face in, uh, yeah, I just said that, it's okay. I, I was leaping ahead of myself for a moment. The average is about $300 million that they have raised. And obviously many cases when they complete the transaction, they raise more money. But in terms of money in the bank already, 300 is the, is the typical average. 
the biggest sectors uh, of activity to date have been in consumer and in health and in technology. Really, I know those are very broad categories, especially technology, but um, consumers not surprising with electric vehicles and so forth uh, being a very sexy space. And um, as I mentioned, new deals have slowed. I'm gonna pop in it to, let me just get the right screen up and I'm gonna share my screen with you. Yeah, here we go. So I'm gonna share my screen and show you some graphics. I, um, we, these are, this is information that uh, we have compiled. And uh, we've compiled it from a variety of third party sources. So I'm not yet sure if we are able, i.e. allowed to distribute this content, uh, but I just want to show it to you here. Actually, bear with me a second. So you should be able to see, I'm gonna zoom this up a little bit. See in this view, I can't change it terribly much. Yeah, here we go. So the, the points to make here are that going back to 2003, which is you know a little bit too far in fact, but these are the numbers that we've collated that during that entire time through uh, the middle of 2021, there have been 388 completed SPAC acquisitions. That number is inflated because there were quite a few SPACs, not a, nothing like as much as recently, but uh, were going on earlier in, in the era. The main issue is 440 still seeking a merger right now. And we have about 320 in our website now listed in the SPAC finder matchmaker service. So if we go down here, this is interesting the IPO count of SPACs over recent years. You can see, you know, a typical year in the, in the past would have been, yeah, 13, 14, 20 a year, it went up, it went up, it went up. Really 2019 is where we saw the growth. So in 2021, even this, these numbers are probably accurate through around uh, June, July timeframe of this year. That's a heck of a lot of SPACs that took place this year. And I'm gonna pop up these, these images here to show you. This is cumulative. So, you know, that does distort it a little bit, but you can tell that all hell broke loose. A lot of capital got raised in 2020 and uh, 2021 so far. And this is a breakdown of, uh, let me just minimize this here. This is a breakdown of uh, the, uh, the number of deals and, uh, Medium, median value of those deals. This is fun, uh, funded SPACs. Um, so you can see real estate, not very many deals, but an average, this is just, you know, the quantity of deals and the average raise size. So it's marginally interesting. This is more interesting. Um, this chart, I'll zoom it up a little bit. Um, I can't actually zoom it up a little bit here. Anyhow, the light blue is consumer within general, and um, tech is, yeah, I think tech is this one. And you can see health is the green one. Oh, no, sorry, blue, the light blue is, is consumer. I screwed, screwed up in my presentation of the information. Light blue here, you can see it from here. Within tech, tech is all tech. <laughs> anyway, you can see that this is pretty big. Healthcare on its own is big. Healthcare is a sizable segment of a couple of the others as well. I don't know how helpful that is for you, but it's somewhat interesting. Healthcare within financial, interesting. Okay, so I'll unshare my screen and go back to content. I'll answer the questions later. Um, Okay, good. So essentially, SPACs are a sizable phenomenon now. They have slowed down. It looks to me like the SEC is probably going to, uh, to, to be putting in more restrictions on SPACs, but there's enough of them out there that are funded that if you are looking to go public via uh, a merger with a SPAC funded SPAC company, this is a good time. In fact, it's a little early in terms of when their deadlines are. This is a tad early, which is a good time to prepare, right? That's kind of the way.
way it usually works. Although if the market crashes, it won't be such a good time. So that's the, the other significant fact in, in play. When you look at the SPAC, the funded SPACs and their disclosures via Edgar and so forth, they don't generally tell you much about what they're going to do. They might express a general direction of where they intend to acquire companies, but they've left their options open, understandably so. So it is, a, a little, it is difficult in the main, once you've identified the SPAC, to figure out exactly what they're doing. That's a serious challenge. It's more geared for them to figure out who they want to acquire, really. They're not making it easy for you to find them particularly. Timing is key. Um, we're keeping track of that through the, the our matchmaker service. So, you know, as, as more and more companies, SPACs, SPACs are funded, sorry, as more and more funded SPACs reach the point that they don't have that much time left in order to do a deal, we'll be highlighting them. We already do, but there aren't enough of them right now to, uh, to be exciting. Uh, anyway, that's a fact of the matter. You can go through, obviously, the Edgar filings and get as much detail as you can get. Uh, and it's very dilute, as you know, looking at those sorts of filings, but it is a source. Getting into methods of outreach to find uh, attractive or appropriate SPACs. Obviously, you can go to an investment bank and retain their services. There are many that do that. Um, in, in terms of underwriters alone, when you look at who's been doing it, there are of underwriters that have more than 4% share of recent SPAC activity, there are 20. It's a very fragmented space by underwriters. It's kind of a who's who list of, of underwriters. It's not terribly surprising. But it is interesting to me. I was surprised how I thought it would be more concentrated than it is. That's, that's interesting to me. And this, the scope of the range of funding, there's a lot of concentration around, uh, you know, 260, 320, 330 funding millions funded level and there are there are numbers numerous of them that are in the 150 million range as well but the biggest concentration is around 300. so hiring an investment bank is an entirely appropriate thing to do i can't particularly recommend one over another but there are many um, and that'll come with the with the attendant costs and really that's the only negative is you, you end up paying them even if nothing happens like in most cases but nevertheless, that's a valid, a valid way to go. Another really good, probably the best way is to have somebody of high initiative, maybe yourself, maybe someone on your team, do a lot of legwork, you know, go out and search the internet and find what you find. You know, the reason that we put the matchmaker service up is because in my view, when I did it as a favor for a friend, just looked online to see, the internet isn't doing us any favors right now. I think 10 years ago, it was a better place to find the things you're looking for because essentially commercial services of one kind or another are polluting the mix. So you end up with uh, difficult, it's difficult to find stuff. So that's why we, we did what we did with our, our matchmaking service. But still, it is that there are good prospects out there. There are increasingly more and more services, subscription services and others that provide information to give context that you can learn from. So that's really, in many cases, that will be the best way to go. Using some physical networking events, mostly, mostly online, uh, you can identify people who are movers and shakers and then approach them for advice. Uh, recommendations and suggestions and you can meet people that way too and then you know there are increasingly physical events to network with too right where you can go shake hands and or bump fists and uh, meet people that can lead you to or that are already involved in uh, attractive SPACs that are funded uh, you can use our matchmaking service uh, uh, obviously that's a seriously huge conflict of interest that I'm getting myself into but go ahead and use it it's very low cost relative to the other options um and now we've got you know about three actually i think the precise number is as of today 318 funded SPACs listed so it's a pretty good source i think it's probably the best source of uh, funded SPACs that you'll find in one place um then we have another heavily con conflicted statement we have a SPAC finding service that we'll use for you if you choose to use it. And um, we have a link to that in the, uh, the chat box. And essentially that's where we will advertise an email to appropriate funded SPACs on your behalf, having figured out what the bit should be. And then all the leads go to you. So you can then converse with 
the respondents, converse to the SPACs that, res that respond to our efforts. Um, so that's, again, that's heavily conflicted, but it does, it is there and it's, uh, we've had a lot of inquiries about it. In terms of people doing deals, in the, in the first phase of building the matchmaker, there was no, no fee at all. Now we have a 1% fee. If you find somebody through our service, we ask that you pay us a 1% of the, the deal value. Uh, before we put that in, um, there were three biotech companies that disappeared from our listing, and we haven't checked and don't know if they were acquired through a SPAC or if they decided to go do something else. But um, we will find out in the fullness of time, and you can be sure that we'll crow about it if they uh, did indeed complete a SPAC deal. So how to approach a SPAC buyer, you know? This is um, very delicate stuff. The biggest issue is that uh, as we have found, and you will find, most of the funded SPACs don't have LinkedIn links, so you can easily track down the principles, don't provide or don't volunteer their emails. You have to go to an info kind of email to easily email them. So we've been doing a lot of work on that. So we are building a better and better list of people that are in funded SPACs that we can outreach to for this, uh, for our service. But essentially, um, you're gonna, if you're going to use email as the outreach method, which is, is nothing like as good as, it's, is, uh, as using your network, you know, if you can identify the names of people in, an, uh, in a fund, that, in a funded SPAC rather, that is interesting to you and better yet, if there are some people in it that you know or that you, you have connections with through a third party, get an introduction. It's just like, in that way, it's like uh, approaching venture capitalists. It's so much better when you get in by referral than when you come in out of the, out of the big blue, wide blue yonder, yeah? So do that if you can. And that's where networking can come in handy, right? Within your own network and beyond. If it's going to be an email approach, don't, ex don't expect it to be a one hit, you know, expect that it's going to be a sequence of brief and, and uh, very, very succinct. Brief and succinct are the same thing, of course, you know, brief, very brief emails. If you send people long emails, dissertations with attachments, they're just going to not see them, not read them. Uh, you've got to be focused and crisp in what you say, and better yet, expect that it's a journey, expect that there will be a sequence of uh, communications before you're likely to get a response. Because guess what? These guys are out there, they have a lot of money sitting in the bank and there's a lot of people that would like to deal with them as service providers and a lot of others that would like to be acquired by them. So you need to stand out. And in my belief and experience, being brief, crisp, honest, and reasonable in your approach is smart and absolutely not shutting the door to yourself doing further communications, you know, keeping the door open to subsequent uh, emails if that's all you're using. These days you can do very, very pinpointed advertising, which is what uh, we offer in our uh, We'll Find It, Find It For You service. You know, the, the, the instrumentation through social media advertising is so precise. You know, a lot of these social media sites know more about us than we know about ourselves, right? I mean, they have at least a, a, an unbiased perspective in some ways. It's technically biased, but it's not emotionally biased about who we are and what we like, et cetera, et cetera. They know us so well. They can, you know, really, really make make advertising a viable method to to attack uh, to uh, to attract funded SPACs, which leads me to another obvious thing, which is stand out amongst the crowd, right? Because when you look at it from a funded SPAC's point of view, they are looking, they might be looking more intensely later when they have less time, but they are looking, they've got good people looking at through their network and going online and are paying attention to attractive targets. So be in the news legitimately and promote your business in the normal way, but recognize that this is a seriously viable way of getting on their radar. So, they sh so that you show up to them that way which is the best, right? They find you of their own effort and decide that your company is seriously engaging, seriously attractive, and then they come knocking on your door. That's the best of all, isn't it? Uh, I mentioned it earlier, but I want to reassert it. Expect it to be a process, right? When you get in the door, with the door just slightly open, that's a, still a journey to get past it to where you're actually having discussions and serious evaluations. Um, 
be open and direct kind of obvious but you know pretending it's something else will never work um and making sure that what you present is what you have so that you don't waste each other's time kind of obvious but um needs to be done and again i i know i said it earlier be brief because in my position in in manhattan street capital it's astounding how many companies will send me a book you know or 25 attachments for christ's sake you know and an email that's four pages long these are not the signs of a company that has their act together as a matter of fact i mean as a matter of prejudice because of my experience they generally don't have their act together but it's generally actually true if i take the time to check you know and i'm sure you guys have had similar experiences clearly stated succinct messages are the way to go that's absolutely uh, critically important so how to negotiate a deal price you know you guys are probably hugely experienced and know far more than i do you know i have uh, i've done a lot of this but I, I i don't pretend to i don't pretend for one moment that i know more than you do about negotiating i've got some tips here that i help are hopeful but please don't think that i'm arrogantly sitting here saying yeah yeah i know everything about negotiating christ there's so much involved and uh, again so i'm sure some of you have uh, done far far more deals than i have be flexible and be pragmatic and be open because there are a lot of issues in SPACs that are different than a regular company buying another company, like the commitments that they've made to their investors, uh, the nature of the returns they need, the size of the deals they want, right? So one big constraint is that most of the SPACs are funded based on making one acquisition. They're not planning to make six and then pull them all together and make it kick-ass amazing. The money's there and they could do six, right? But the, if you think about when they're set up with the cost and budgeting in process, budgeting the costs that goes along with doing one set of due diligence, maybe three times, because you kiss a frog twice and you, you, you know, they reject them and the third company's a charm. That's three serially over a period of time, right? But if instead they are going, you know, your pitch is well my company's not quite that big but kick ass amazing it is and this is what we could do and bring in a couple of other companies and now we've spent all the money you want to spend and we've built something amazing between us that's going to be difficult for them to bite off at first because of the extra due diligence and maybe the parallel due diligence and you know all of that the, the excess costs involved and then they don't actually know until they finish that if it's going to fly anyway right so Bear in mind those kinds of constraints. So if it's a smaller deal, look for smaller SPACs because there are those that might be a natural fit and just be pragmatic about it. When it comes to what should the value be of your company, um, that's a really interesting one. It's very different than when you are dealing with venture capitalists because in that case, you know, the way that is that they end up setting, if they're interested, usually they set the terms anyway, you know, they determine how much money they're willing to put into play, which has a big role in determining the valuation they'll accept. And if you don't like it, tough luck most of the time, unless you've got a competitive you know, bid situation going, which is rare to say the least, but great, you know, great when you get it. So shooting high is reasonable as long as you are not rigidly attached to a higher number. But when you think about what the dynamics are in today's market, your company might be worth this much normally and this much to the buyer in today's market because it's going to be worth this much when absorbed, when combined, right? So it's an anti-dilutive or an accretive deal to the buyer because my God, you know, this technology, this opportunity, the revenue upside and the profit upside is fantastic and therefore bigger numbers are in play today, which is a reason why the SPACs are there because they're capitalizing on the, the heat in the market and the valuations can go along with that. As I already mentioned due diligence uh, process, recognize that that is a serious challenge. You know, they didn't set it, most of them didn't plan to do multiple deals. Uh, so that's worth thinking about. Uh, again, logistics, fitting in with the logistics of timing and uh, uh, other deals and so forth, which is pretty obvious. A big one that I recommend you pay very close attention to is, you know, you're, I'm, I'm going to assume that most of you guys here are guys and gals, are C CEOs, probably the founders, but certainly CEOs of your company. 
and you're not used to necessarily having very powerful people on your board. Well, in some cases, you're going to have that, right? Because a lot of these facts, the reason they were able to raise the money in the first place is because they have names associated with them that have powerful reputations, potentially big egos and successful uh, careers behind them and roles in the company. So in the acquiring company. So, you know, mapping out who is actually going to be there as a long term participant in the combined entity and what role they'll have role they will have with you matters intensely, right? Um, I did a deal, I did it, I joined a company as its CEO, where had I met with each of the board members and thought about it hard, I wouldn't have taken the company. Instead, I was wowed by the CEO, wowed by the technology, and I was flattered by the deal I was offered and the timing was right, it felt good. What an idiot I was, frankly, because some of those board members were they were alienated from me by the size of the equity package I got in the first place. I was starting from it, you know. I was starting on the on the on the negative side of the uh, of the balance sheet, as it were, from the get go. With people that had a lot of power over me, right? So figure that out because you may not want the deal. It doesn't. It may be that you would only take the deal if you can exit quickly because you don't want to run your business with those people managing you and perhaps second guessing everything you do or some of the things you do. This is important, right? Lifestyle, your ability to excel and succeed, and the fact that you perhaps have been doing your own thing for a long time and aren't quite familiar with having to answer to people that you don't really get on very well with, right? So figure that out. It's obvious, but it's really, it's negotiating the deal as to getting a success long-term and one that you can live with, not so much what the deal terms are. And this is really obvious, but I'm gonna mention it because it does help some people. You know, you'll negotiate when you actually get to the point you are negotiating. You don't want to be rude. You don't want to say, fuck off, that's not acceptable. You know, we'll probably edit that piece out when we do the editing. But um, you don't want to swear at them and, and, and say a flat out no. But you also don't want to say yes, because they've reached a point where it's getting painful. What I do in that situation is I'll say, well, if I concede that, I have to do this. So it becomes a this for that deal, right? And this is a you do, this is stated because it's deliberately going to be something they don't want taken off the table, right? So that they understand in a more subtle manner that to get this over here, it's going to cost them that over there, and they don't actually want that. So they realize they've reached the end of the road for cheapening the deal for them, right? In a polite way that you didn't say no. Again, pretty obvious, probably remarkably obvious, but um, one or two of you may find that helpful. When the deal is agreed, even if it's verbally agreed, you've got it sorted, do not go back and fuck around with it. Again, another word, sorry about that. Another one, you know, don't go back and try to squeeze more out of the deal. I was involved in a, in a uh, startup company that was very successful in its space. <clears throat> a public company approached us. The CEO, I was a major shareholder and was there from the beginning. And um, the CEO, uh, and the CEO of the acquiring company negotiated a deal that was very reasonable. And then the wheels were set in motion and we were heading towards uh, uh, the, the merger. And then the CEO founder of our company went back and tried to richen the deal in a big way. And the way in which he did it and the scale of the ask just blew the whole thing apart. So it never happened, right? He put himself in the place as being a jerk and flaky that the CEO of the acquiring company didn't want to deal with. He didn't want to have that guy in that role. It, it, it killed the whole deal, right? That's a good example of what you get if you go back and reinvent the wheel after the fact. You just got to, in most every case, you just got to kind of bite the bullet and, and say, hey, we negotiated it. It's not perfect, but we did this for good reason. And okay, I could kill it. I could kill it dead, but I'd rather have it. So, you know, in most cases, it goes, you know, continue down the path. Okay. Now I'm going to get into how to make the merger succeed. I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on this. I mean, how are we doing on time? How are we doing well? Because, you know, this is actually, I could write a book on this literally. Uh, I could do two or three webinars on this literally because the ease of financing or the ease of negotiating and closing a deal is a working ball, but the 
the complexity of conducting successful mergers is very, very high. Now, in this case, though, if it's a SPAC, if it's a funded SPAC buying one company, your company, then the complexities are much reduced, aren't they? It's seriously simpler because in most cases, the funding company, the funding SPAC isn't going to want to dismantle the company or peel off four fifths of it and throw them away or reinvent them and do them in a different way six weeks from now and cause them all to die on the vine, which is the sort of thing that happens all too often in regular acquisitions. But in the event that that is the sort of thing which the acquiring company is thinking, yeah, well, we only like this bit, we'll get rid of the rest, that kind of stuff, or we'll reinvent the way they're doing it to make it much, much more profitable. You need to figure that out. And if you buy into it, then you are gonna be involved in maximizing the efficiency of the combination. And especially if it's gonna end up being three or four companies combined to make this whole thing click and be a, an amazing, an amazing win. So that, that's when this stuff comes into play. Uh, and as I said, in other situations, I would spend more time on it. In this case, I'll be relatively brief. We, the acquiring company needs to respect the nuances of the culture and what makes the acquired company successful, whatever they may be. So coming in and sort of steamrolling them because they don't make sense or they're illogical or they look, they look inefficient is not the way to go because that's, that's just the way to decimate morale and decimate the team where the good people quit, right? So respect the nuances of it. And that really takes local presence. It takes being there and listening, and paying attention and being considerate and respectful and not moving too fast, right? Because if you move too fast, generally you have no, you don't have sufficient knowledge of what gives. You don't even know the business well enough as to what's really kicking, right? You gotta be in it and you gotta be speaking to customers. You gotta drill down in order to both add value and also know what you're actually dealing with because the external view is so distorted. It's distorted deliberately. Companies try to make themselves look larger than life every day. All of us do probably, right? And that's how you get to where you're going. You have to have a future thought process, a vision, and the more you can paint that picture uh, and the more that others believe it, the better off you are. But getting into what actually works and demonstrating that to yourself so that you know what to adjust, you know what to tweak. And then you also bet you can spend the time figuring out how and when to make adjustments so that they stick and are successful, it's a lot of work and being attentive, uh, paying, paying close attention. Don't replace the old with the new until you know that the new actually works. It's astounding in doing so many mergers that I was involved in where I'm running the merger, I'm running the business that's being acquired. And somebody comes in from finance operations and says, okay, Rob, we're gonna be switching off this thing and replacing it with that thing next Thursday, all good. And I'll just ask a few questions. Well, how long have we been running them in parallel to demonstrate that the new system works? Well, we don't need to because we've done similar things before. So this is, this is just throw a switch and it'll work fine. So I'm a skeptical bastard when it comes to that because I've had so many unpleasant and really more observed extreme cock-ups by companies where they didn't do it right because they assumed their new method would work, right? A company that, um, my first IPO, Ashton Tate, soon after I, as I was leaving, they were negotiating an acquisition and then afterwards they purchased a company with one of the market leading word processors whose name will come back to me in a minute, probably. And they convinced themselves, Ashton Tate management convinced themselves that they could do all the manufacturing, which was simple, making discs, making manuals, putting them together and shipping them, uh, that they could do that very quickly. So they closed down the warehouse of the acquired company. And then the following four or so, four or five months, they weren't able to fulfill any orders because their warehouse actually wasn't up to speed, couldn't do it. And I had friends, actually my girlfriend at that day was working in one of the biggest software distributors, dealing with dealers and, other, and large scale dealers and entities that were trying to get their hands on this software and couldn't get it because none was to be found, right? So they, what were they doing? They were building the market share of Microsoft Word, which was a target in those days. It was a really very poor piece of software. The other leading software programs in word processing were benefiting by this extreme cock up by, uh, by Ashton Tate. Okay, the buying company. Minimizing top-down decisions is really key because it's so easy for a well-intended decision made at the top. Well, 
hey guys, I mean, we need to shave 10%. And that sounds logical to me. Why would they do it a different way anyway? Okay, so mate, let's do that next, you know, by the end of the month, right? And now you've gone in, somebody's steamrollering things, the department gets shut down. It's all done in a ham-fisted manner because it was done from above and nobody actually buys into it. And, you know, you're really killing the morale of the people, which is why businesses thrive, right? Building morale, getting it genuinely high and keeping it there is a serious challenge. Killing it is just something you do at the, the, the snap of a, of a, of a top-down type decision made 3,000 miles away. I already covered that. And again, in this combination circumstance, being a genuine, if you're not from inside, then become a genuine advocate of that entity and of its team. Show that by actions, because that is when you'll get start to get their support. You'll start to build your credibility. So um, to give you an example, when Symantec acquired the Norton business, uh, we did a layoff of about 60% of the staff but we had already planned it out ahead of time and we had planned out who would be transitioning and what period of transition they would have what bonuses they would have to get them to stay and so forth and we had practice at doing this so we did uh, a very careful job of merging the two companies with great success because what happens in that situation is that everyone's morale is slammed by this terrible event of an acquisition and then they're looking for the second shoe to drop, right? That's one issue. You can cut the air with a knife. You can feel the electricity. Making things happen in that context is very challenging. But over time, by I was the local advocate, I was driving this company's growth within Symantec, showing that I was driving for the success of our business, for the success of our business unit. And when I made decisions and when I made selections and when I chose whatever I did, it was all based on building the success of our team and what we were doing collectively. It took a while to earn the grudging respect of the team, teams, and also, you know, proving that there was never, there wasn't, and there wasn't going to be a second shoe to drop, right? And then conservative budgeting. So we were always ahead of expectations in terms of revenue and profit goals. So we were always able to hire, hire, more than the budget, that sort of thing, that kind of activity built morale. So we had marvelous morale and we had good luck and we were doing something needed and the timing was right. You know, it was, it's never one thing, but even if you've got all the environmental components and the, and the strategic trends in your favor, you can still fuck it up royally by being clumsy, right? Or hasty, you know? The best thing that I did, and I did it with the other big acquisition uh, at Symantec was, core customers and find out what they loved and hated about us and what this latest update was doing and why it was great and why it was not. So I actually had a fundamental understanding of our business. So when I was in a discussion with the developers or the product management team, uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't able to be misled if they would try that or if they were misleading themselves, I could see past it, right? But that's obvious to do but it does take time and effort and you know it's invaluable stuff because now you know the business from the ground up you're really clued in and there's no substitute to, for that and the time that it takes and the last point when you're doing this is to listen and that, that applies throughout the entire journey doesn't it listening paying attention that's how come we're successful entrepreneurs is because we are paying attention and adjusting course uh, accordingly right SPACs are a phenomenon that's why you guys are here you know, you're, you're actively listening. Okay, that covers my prepared, prepared material. So I'm now gonna look at the questions that are here in chat and you're welcome to add more. And I will add, as I said, I will answer as many of these that I am capable of answering and adding value to. Starting at the top, I will not answer our disclaimers. I'd like you to read them, but I will not answer them because they're not posing a question. Why a SPAC rather than an IPO or direct listing? Whoa. A SPAC is easier and quicker, really. That's the only why. So, you know, you have more control over it. If you do a Reg A plus IPO or you do an S1 IPO, you're your own master. You still have to get participants to play like underwriters or whomever. 
But the advantage of a funded SPAC is that uh, if they like your company and you like them and you can come to terms, you can do a deal very quickly. That's what it's set up for, right? So it's, it's time of execution. Le I would say leveraging the heat in the market whilst it's there. Because when you get markets like this, at some point the show closes, right? It, it's, at some point it's, it, it's not as hot. Waiting until the end of that period inadvertently by perfecting your approach is often the wrong thing to do. And I've seen that many times, you know, companies ready to go to do their S1, or this is really more the S1 era when I was seeing this. And then the, the management decides, you know what, we've only got the two products, we're not quite there. Let's finish the third product, get it out, show traction, and then go public, because that's when we'll really know we're showing it right. You know, we got our we got our act together. So they wait a year and then the market closes. And six years later, when it reopens, they it's too late. You know, the company is falling around, you know, falling apart is what I mean to say, not fooling around. It'd be kind of weird for a company to fool around. Anyway, so often I've seen it where, people, where companies were poised to, to leverage the market heat of the moment and then perfected by over analyzing or over perfecting their preparations, missed the boat completely. Sometimes they come back later and it's fine. And sometimes they lose it along the way because it's not possible to keep the team together, yada, 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 you know, various things occur. And the number 400 or 440 funded SPACs and th oh, around 300 and 320 million is the typically the average funded amount of a funded SPAC. Can going public via a reverse merger be other than a SPAC? Of course, yes. When a private company combines with a public shell, a company that doesn't have really, it's a private company really buying a public company, hence the name reverse merger. Normally a merger is where a public, rich, successful company buys a dinky private company. That's normally the way an acquisition looks. You know, M&A is normally that way because the megabucks reside in the large public entity when it's a, essentially a past failed public entity that is a shell of its former self, that is still public and sort of flapping in the breeze, hanging around, waiting for an opportunity. When that is bought, essentially bought by a private company, it's a reverse merger. And of course you can do that instead of a, a combination or a reverse merger with a SPAC, which is still a reverse merger technically, but it's with a company that has the money. Is the public information available on SPACs? Yes, on Edgar. If you go look at the SEC's Edgar site and search through it, you'll find a, an abundance of publicly available information on every public company and SPACs are no exception. What's the size of distribution targets in particular? What is the smallest one can be in order to use a SPAC? You mean to raise for a SPAC. So to my knowledge, there is no actual minimum uh, when you are doing your own SPAC via the current normal method via an S1, <clears throat> what matters is, is there enough money to conduct it? Can you get the underwriter's support to raise the money? Do you have the team, sufficient team on board to make the SPAC fundable? Those are the things. And if, if you can do that and you can convince the players involved that say 50 million or 100 million is sufficient to do everything you plan to do, which makes it a really attractive deal, then you can raise the money. You know, nobody's gonna say no technically. The SEC doesn't do merit judgments on companies as to whether they're really gonna be, you know, worth investing in. They don't consider that their, their uh, role. They consider making the rules and making sure people adhere to the rules, their role, I believe. <clears throat> yeah, the deadline for a SPAC to be invested, essentially, it's going to be particular to each one. There'll be a limited amount of time that you can stay out there raising money for the underwriters to stay on the case. You know, usually it happens very quickly. A regular IPO, the actual funding is two and a half weeks. You know, it is not a long time. It's then if it didn't work in two and a half weeks, is it going to work at all? because you're not normally going to find that it will work outside of a normal window of time. <clears throat> Is it true that almost all SPAC sponsors have already a target company in mind? No, you're not allowed to actually. So, you know, companies, SPACs that pretend they don't have a target in mind, but go ahead and raise the money and then had a target in mind the whole time. 
they are actively misleading the SEC. That is not what a SPAC is. So generally, that's a very bad idea because the SEC will figure it out and everyone will pay dearly for that, right? So no, they don't have a, a target in mind. Then uh, why is it most of the SPACs haven't completed the business combination? I think it's because of it's two factors. One is that any individual SPAC, none of them knew how many other SPACs were raising money this week, this month, right? So the, the, their competition, their competitive landscape is unclear. And also optimism, because you've got to be optimistic to do it, to do anything in business. If we all knew how hard it was going to be to do what we've been doing the last five, 10, 15 years, probably most of us would have done something else. You have to be an optimist and then stick with it anyway. So these guys are optimists thinking, well, we've got what it takes. We know what we're doing. We raise the money. We can make some stupendous deals and we're going to make a lot of money out of it. Right. So it's a good use of time and money. But that doesn't mean they're right. And then when you have a year and a half or two years with which to select one acquisition, you know, then it's going to take a while. Right. It isn't something you just rush into, especially when you have all that uh, that time on your hands. So that's a part of it, too. Why, why the surge in SPACs during the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I think what we experienced was that a big, a big uh, acceleration and acceptance of online investing. Our business is all about helping companies raise money through online investing. And it's been a relatively, it's been a very slow market to grow, but it's accelerated beautifully because of COVID, because you've got all these people sitting at home bored, many of them with money to invest, many of them in institutions. And so now we're seeing institutional engagement in Reg A Plus on a regular basis, Reg A Plus offerings. Uh, that wasn't happening before. So it's a matter of entrapment, right? You know, trap people with computers, accessing stuff they online that they wouldn't normally do, and then realizing there's more to it than they thought. So online investing is caught on nicely. And to the extent they could do SPACs whilst they were doing it from home, same thing, because they can. And the market's so hot. Why is the market so hot? Because of COVID, right? The, the Fed has been flooding the market with loans and equity purchases. So, you know, the market has been overly hot as a direct response caused by, <coughs> caused by the, uh, the COVID pandemic. WordPerfect, no, WordPerfect was another uh, leading word processing company. They, they were based out of Utah, if you remember, and they, they benefited, benefited beautifully from uh, the cock-up that Ashton Tate made. Um, I remember the history, I remember the, the CEO, the founder, he made the software at the request of a company that used Wang word processors because he liked their software but couldn't get it on a PC. And he and uh, he asked this consultant to do that, and the consultant said, "Yeah, I'll do it for this amount of money, but can I can I go and sell it to other people?" And the guy, the, the buying company, said yes. So then he had a very well fleshed out word processor that was remarkably similar to to um, the, uh, the the standalone word processor, and he did really well with it. And I still can't remember the name. If you create a SPAC to raise one million to acquire XYZ company, but but actually raise two what can you do with the extra funds well you've got to invest them or return them to the investors within that time frame right so essentially in the SPAC model investors put up money it prices ten dollars a share typically and then they stay at that price waiting for something good to happen and if after typically one and a half or two years that's the, up to the SPAC team to decide then if they haven't made use of the funds or haven't made an acquisition, they then get have to refund the investors most of the money. Okay, uh, see, so it says I've seven new questions. I was thinking there weren't any more, but I was wrong. My Google Assistant on my phone is getting imaginative and thinking it can help me. Well, unless you can make a webinar presentation, mate. Oh, I got to go to the right place in the questions here. Sorry, guys. 
What's the smallest company? It's a practical matter. Who, what's the smallest company that can go public via a SPAC? You mean, I think, what's the smallest company that can would be attractive for a SPAC to buy? It could be tiny in that it's two founders and an absolutely blockbuster technology, right? Because if it's the right technology with big enough potential, that's worth an arm and a leg, even if it's purchased for a low price, it can be worth an arm and a leg, right? I, I am so privileged to be the CEO of Manhattan Street Capital because some of the companies approaching us are very early stage in time and, and numeric headcount, but they have blockbuster products and technologies. It's just amazing. I mean, it's amazing, the upside potential. If I had a funded SPAC, I would be buying these companies because the upside is astounding. I mean, you guys know what it's like, right? The more active you are in business, the more you see, and I'm privileged to see a lot of great companies, the ones that stand out by, you know, head and shoulders or far, far more are apparent. It's a, a glorious phenomenon, which I am extremely familiar for. So it's not about size, it's about, which is like, you know, funding a company in general, you know, will the VCs invest in a tiny company started last Thursday? Well, yeah, if it's a blockbuster technology idea concept, I mean, last Thursday, no, because that's just a bit too recent, but you get the gist. How to target the appropriate SPAC with specific business investment interests as a seller or merge partner. So I covered that earlier. Um, it's hard because they generally don't disclose their targeting, but there are, the, there are those that do. So combing through the listings on our platform or going out in the, on the web or subscribing to services that, make, that require you to pay to look, um, those are the ways to do it. You know, legwork, right? Or use a service like ours or an investment banking firm. But, you know, you know best where the fit would be. So, you know, probably you doing it is the best solution because you know where the fit could be great. Evaluations, it's all in the eye of the perceiver, you know, the beholder, and as well it's in your mind too, because if they're offering you 150 mil valuation, but you are determined you won't sell for a valuation less than 300, that's going to be a difficult negotiation. So valuations are determined by the buyer, aren't they? The market price, today's market price is remarkably high because we're in the midst of a very hot market. Companies, let's be frank, I mean, there are companies on the NASDAQ and on all the markets, and even on the OTCQX and QB that don't have enough substance, but that have very high valuations because they're being marketed uh, very well, you know, in this market. That doesn't persist in bad markets, obviously. What's a typical percent of ownership that the selling management team retain in a SPAC acquisition? Well, um, that's going to depend mostly on the strength of the team and how attractive uh, it is to the, to the acquirer to keep the team, right? So what you want to have ideally, in my view, is you want a great company with a great team where you want the whole team to stay on board. And then market rates will determine you know what amount of equity is normal and appropriate will determine it and what's already in place will have a big role in that it's a negotiation at the end of the day they may find that they, they may conclude that they don't need a particular role or one particular executive or something but in the main it's going to be simple if they if the team is strong they're going to want to keep the team on and motivated and there'll be big enough carrots to do so a factor for the buyer is these folks are making megabucks suddenly. How do we get them to stay? Because now they, many of them will have exceeded their wildest dreams in terms of how much money they're worth. Uh, and uh, maybe they're going to take a long, long, long vacation sabbatical or just change to become a farmer, you know, or run a pub or something. So they don't want to have that happen. They want to make it in, in, enticing to stick around. Can you get SPACs to compete? Yeah, I mean, can I? I don't know, it depends on your company. So if we went to bat for you with our service and we're fortunate to get multiple SPACs involved, then inherently that can be a, a competitive environment, right? Because you would be, it would be wise to let those buyers know that they are in a competitive situation. And that generally works very well. It's, it has to be handled diplomatically, of course. 
can the SPAC invest in a portion of our company? Yeah, but they don't, they aren't going to like that. If they don't get control, they're not going to like it, are they? They need control. They're not, their investors probably wouldn't support. When they go to make an investment, the SPACs go to their investors and ask them to participate. The money's there, but they aren't required to accept the acquisition. That's a part of the, the you know, the lengthy documents that you see on SPACs. So, you know, if it's a, a minority position in the company that looks marginal on, you know, when judged as a whole, too, too few investors will take it anyway, right? But this, the SPACs aren't going to do that. It's just, it doesn't make any sense. They're not going to get the obscenely high valuation on a deal when they only have a minority position in, in, in a company with rare, rare exceptions. In the last few conferences I've attended, many seem to be bearish on the future of SPACs. What's my opinion? Well, it's, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a phase. It's a phenomenon that we're going through. And no, it will not be around in its current intensity 10 years from now, five years from now, because the environment will change, right? So two things, are, two things are shifting. One is the SEC is making it harder to do SPACs. Another, there's three things. Another is that there are more than enough of them out there right now. So we don't need as many to go and get funded. And the third is that this hot pace in the market will not persist. It cannot go on at this level forever, right? It's going to either settle into a sideways phase where no one makes much money by investing in the market as a whole for a while, or it's going to do a crash thingy. And, you know, in either one of those, SPACs will not be happening anymore for a bit, right? They'll probably, you know, then they'll recover at some point to a, to a normal level, but nothing like uh, the level that, uh, that we've seen recently. So yeah, it's easy to be bearish about the future of funded SPACs, but that's not really the point to me. If you're here because you want to get public quickly with your company uh, and enjoy the process, I hope enjoy the process, then, you know, now is great because there's so many funded SPACs out there to go to. It's a great time. Uh, the market valuations are really high. What you've got can be much more appreciated. And, you know, but, but again, it, this is such a qualitative thing because it changes your life, right? And it's not necessarily for... It's not all easy, you know, to be in a public company with deadlines and quarterly and quarterly uh, uh, PCAOB audits and reporting revenues and profit growth and having it and having good news and a solid stream of it. There's a lot of hurdles, a lot of hoops to jump through. It's not a no-brainer from that point of view. Yeah, not WordStar. No, no, they were dead in the water a long time before. Uh, actually. They were pretty much dead. They were pretty much dead in the water then when I was when I left Ashton Tate. But thanks for the reminder. Yeah, WordStar was written by one guy. One programmer wrote WordStar. Same as DBase, actually, in the earlier versions of DBase. The easiest way to get public is via a SPAC acquisition if you can find the partner. You know, it's like, what's the easiest way to get married? You know, find a woman you're compatible with and ask the question. But if she says no, or you can't find one, then it's going to take a while. And your own IPO or your a reverse merger that you, that you drive is under your control, right? You can make it happen. There's a lot of shell companies that are more expensive now because of the demand on for them uh, caused by the market state and uh, all the, uh, the SPAC deals. But nevertheless, it's a qualitative decision. The quickest and easiest way to go public is to be bought by a public company. Right now, there's so many funded SPACs, that's probably the easiest target group, hence this webinar. I have put together a short list of potential SPACs that might be interested in my company. Will you be able to make an introduction on our behalf? So the answer is yes. Um, uh, if you if you if you approach me and we discuss it, and I believe I can add value because I know the people, or I may have be able to add value in some other way, I'm happy to do that. And we would figure out. Uh, we would end up charging a, uh, a commission on the transaction if it takes place. We're allowed to do that only as if we don't. If we, if we adhere to the letters in the uh, no action letter from the SEC, which there's a link to in our matchmaker finder service. So yes, we can do that while not being a broker dealer, but um, 
this is a very narrow space within uh, non-broker dealerdom, which is not a real word I know. So if you approach uh, approach me directly, I'll, I'll help if I can. But you know, if it's my English accent, you know, let's face it, that's not going to work everywhere. And I don't think it's really that valuable anyway, you know, and I've lost half of it, right? It's halfway across the Atlantic, slowly migrating west. Wade Ratliff, yeah, Ashton Pate, developer, what a great human being. Um, is there a discount paid in a SPAC versus an IPO or a direct listing? Yeah, I would say that you're probably, it's going to cost less to do a SPAC. I, um, you know, there's so many variables there, right? Because if you do a SPAC three months from now, because of efforts that you've initiated now, the likely it is pretty good that the market will still be strong. So the valuations can be there to, like they are today. I'm not saying they will be, but that's a reasonable, you know, a year, two years is much less likely, but three months, woo, yeah. But can you do an IPO in three months starting now? No, you can't. Can you do a direct listing in three months starting now? No, you can't. So if you need this hot market to do your IPO or direct listing, it's going to take longer, although you have control. It's more predictable, like finding the cute man or the cute woman to get wed to. Unpredictable. At least that's my experience. I suppose it's predictable in some parts of the world where it's arranged, isn't it? But then it's a different journey. Will this recording of this webinar, yes, it will be available. We will send you an email. All those that confirmed and, and those that attended will receive a link to the webinar with an index to it so you can just watch the interesting bits and ignore me swearing because either we remove them or you don't have to look at them at all. So if there are more questions, post them, please. Otherwise, I'm going to wrap up shortly. It's 12.07. So... Uh, I only booked the time, I think, till 12. I'm not sure if I booked it to 12.20 with, uh, with your intentions. Anyway, more questions I'm happy to answer if I can, but um, probably I've come to the end of the, uh, the set of questions. I hope this has been useful. Thanks again to, to Akash for making our webinars happen and the recording and the blog post and all of that that he does as well. And to Balint for all his work in bringing the information in to make our matchmaker service have a critical mass of information in it and for the information I presented earlier here. And thank you for attending. I hope this has been worthwhile for you because that's what it's about. Good luck to you, talk to you soon. And you know, just email me if uh, I can be of assistance and um, look forward to potentially working with you in the future. And if not, good luck anyway, all right? Thank you very much, guys. Have a great afternoon.